enjoy Easter. Uh, it's, it's a time of hope for us. It's a time when we celebrate not just the death of Jesus, but actually the resurrection of Jesus and his life and the life that we have in him. Uh, as, as Dave read the scripture, I was thinking about um, when I was a kid, and that's a long time ago, uh, but when I was a kid, um, I wasn't really a, a, a bad kid. I wasn't really a great kid. I actually, I did more wrong than people realized. I just was pretty good at not getting caught. I think that was a skill set that I brought to the table for most of my friends. Uh, but one time I, I helped a friend. He, we actually, he stole something and I helped him kind of hide it. I was an accessory to the crime. And yeah, it, was, it sounds funny, but it was true. And that's what my principal told me when she walked in the room. Uh, this kid was guilty and I was guilty of accessory. And I'm like, great. All right, what's that mean? And so, you know, when you see the principal walk in the door, you realize you're in pretty big trouble, right? I mean, the teacher getting on to you, that's one layer. You know, your principal walks in the room. It's like, oh, my this is not going to be good. So I go down to the principal's office and getting sorted out down there. And uh, then the next thing I know, I look up and guess who comes to the door? My mom. This is not good. Because my mom works through the day. And that means she had to get off work. And she had to come pay attention to her little boy who had done something pretty bad. And so it's ironic, though, as I'm sitting there on one hand, it's like I'm petrified because I know I'm in really big trouble, much more trouble than I thought I would ever get into. But I'm also a bit relieved because it's like, okay, the gig's up. There's no hiding anymore. I don't have to hold on to the, the guilt and worrying. Am I going to, you know what? I mean, suddenly it's like it's all out in the open. Everybody who's important knows what I've done wrong, and uh, they're going to sort it out with me, right? So it brings relief as well as it brings a certain terror that, man, I've really blown it big time. We've all kind of had experiences probably like this. I mean, you know, you might have heard your parents, your mom say at one time, just wait till your father gets home, right? I mean, you get that experience. Uh, or, you know, the owner of the company, not just your boss, but the owner of the company shows up to sort you out to deal with your situation. Or the teacher gets back uh, and you've treated the sub horrendously. I can say that I've been a substitute teacher I've been on the other side, too, and I sorted my kids out after they ruined the sub that day. Um, but we're, we realize we're in bigger trouble than we ever thought could be possible. And when we look at this scripture, actually, I think we see that. When you start looking at the, the, what, what the Bible is saying about who we are and where we've been, it's like we realize that we're in much bigger trouble than we ever realized we could be. I mean, most of us think we're pretty good people. I do. You do. You think you're a pretty good person. And that God should basically just accept us because, well, we're, we're pretty good people. And isn't that how you get to heaven? Good, all good people go to heaven. Like my neighbor said last night, he just, and Annette pointed out really well, well, actually we're more concerned about Jesus' goodness than our own. But because God had to come down to the earth in the form of Jesus, it's like suddenly we realize we're in much worse shape than we ever thought possible. That's the reality. God had to come. The creator, the maker, the father. The one who uh, actually we owe obedience and honor and respect. He had to come down and deal with the situation. Not good news for us in that sense, is it? Well, how bad is it? How bad is this news that the, that the God of the universe has to step into time and space? How bad is it for us that he has to walk into our lives, into our situation? Well, there's three things that we see there. First of all, we notice about ourselves that we're actually entombed. We're dead in our sins. We're indebted. We're in a deep, deep debt to God. And finally, we're enslaved to God. 
I just want to pick up on a few of those themes here. A few nights ago, um, my family, we, we got this, we have Netflix and we get the DVDs as well as the streaming and all that. Anyway, so we got, uh, we got 12 Years a Slave. You may have seen 12 Years a Slave. It's, it's a very powerful, impacting movie about a guy named uh, Solomon uh, Northup. Now, Solomon Northup, he was a free man, lived in New York State, upper state New York. He was a fairly wealthy, well-to-do, respected in his community. He was a musician, and he went down to Washington, D.C. to uh, actually perform. Some guys had recruited him to come and perform for a a circus. And you kind of feel the tension building as you're thinking, okay, he's going further and further to the south. Something terrible is going to happen. And sure enough, he gets there, and it's unclear, did these guys like... um, drug him or did he just get drunk or what happened but somehow he ends up being kidnapped in kind of a drunken stupor you don't exactly know if if the guys he trusted were trustworthy or not it kind of leaves you hanging there questioning but this free man suddenly becomes a slave and he's accused of being a runaway slave and they treat him abominably just awful stuff happens to him while he's there in slavery now eventually what happens he spends literally 12 years as a slave and what eventually happens, he meets a guy, and this guy uh, is, a, is a free northerner. He's come down to do some work, and he works alongside the slaves. And he eventually, uh, Northup asks, Saul Northup, he says, Hey, would you give news to my friends and family back home so that they might write letters and, and procure my freedom again? And, and the guy's like, Man, if I do that, I'm a dead man. I'm marked for life. I'll never be able to work down here again. And he waits, and he kind of thinks about it. And finally, he says, Yeah, I'll do it. And so he does. He writes the letter, sends it north. Eventually, Northup is free. And, and when he's set free, uh, the, the, ju- the uh, sheriff, he comes and he proclaims this guy, hey, look, he's free. You no longer, slave master, you no longer have a hold on this guy. And he just strips him away. And what you see, this, this proud slave owner who was like demanding and ruthless and cruel, suddenly is standing there helpless and without any means or recourse of action at all to get Northup back into his life again. He was stripped bare of his power. Verse 15 here says that. It says, When Jesus had been crucified and raised, it says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authority, he made a public spectacle, a display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. God had done this. He took the enemies that we have. Now you think, well, wait a minute. What are my slave owners? What are my enemies? I don't understand that, Steve. That, that, that language, I'm a free American here. All right, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you'd seen the movie, you might realize slavery is a pretty bad deal, right? Maybe you've seen other movies like that. But the deal is, we are enslaved to at least two things. Number one is sin. Just try not sinning. Just try, you know, you see the sign that says, don't walk on the grass. What is your natural impulse? I'm going to go walking on that grass right there. Okay? At Sodar City, there's the one sign that says, do not look in this hole. I mean, I've seen dozens and dozens of people... Over the years, hundreds literally walk up to that thing. It says, do not look in this hole. And what do they do? Boom. The eye goes right there. Guys, you're driving down the highway and your wife says, oh, don't look over there. And it's like, whoop, what do you do? I mean, immediately we respond, we react. Why? We're enslaved. We're enslaved to sin. We have a rebellious streak that runs deep, deep, deep into who we are. The second thing is actually that we're slaves to death. I mean, the death rate still hovers around, you know, somewhere around 100%. Right? I mean, we understand that. We realize that not anybody's going to make it out of this thing alive. The things that we can't control are the things that we're slaves to. And so here, what the Scriptures tell us is that 
actually, we can be set free from sin and from death through what Jesus has done. Maybe you've come here today, you think, well, the way that I'll get free is from sin or from even from death. I'll come and I'll go to church today and I'll add some religion to my life. I'll do a few good things here. And this will kind of chalk it up you know, to God that you know, I'm in pretty good shape. And actually, you know, I'll make it in. And I'll, I'll be good with God. We try to use religion as a way to kind of manage our sin problem. I mean, we realize we're slaves to it. So we basically, we, we try to be good people, religious people. We try to show some things on the outside to really uh, manage our sin. We can't really do anything about it. We just try to manage it. You're kind of like I was when I was a kid particularly. I was pretty good at hiding, uh, you know, and I was pretty good at staying out of trouble. And we're a, we're a lot like that. We're pretty good at trying to hide and mask this thing that really has us enslaved. And so we, we, we try to stop one problem in our lives, but then pretty soon something else pops up. You guys are like at Chuck E. Cheese, you know, they have whack-a-mole. You guys ever play the game whack-a-mole, you know? Our sin problem is like that. It's like we get one thing, whack, and we think we got it settled. Pretty soon, pop, there's something else. It's just right there, wham, and you just finally... And it's not just that you're playing the game. It's like you're chained to the thing. It's like you can't get away from it because you keep trying to whack down the stuff in your life that you think, oh, this has got me. Oh, yeah, i got to get rid of this. Nobody's going to like me. Nobody... We have a sin issue. We're enslaved to sin. So we simply trade one addiction for another. You know, I've met lots of guys who've been through AA and NA type programs. It's like, you know, they, they switch from one thing to another. Sometimes they're even addicted to the success that they have. You know, able to say, hey, I've got this much success. Or tobacco, they go into something else. We all have things, or food, we go into a food addiction, lust. I mean, we just have, we trade one for another. Often they're things that we know keep us separated from God. Deep, sinful things. We think, gosh, that's broken. God can't... And we trade that for things that actually look pretty good. Good behaviors, good attitudes, good grades at school, higher pay rate, a good home. And we think somehow that those things are helping us get closer to God. All they're doing is actually keeping us as far away from God as we were when we were doing those terrible, sinful things. Because now we have an attitude of pride. It's like, oh yeah, now we're doing it right. Look at me. The danger of religious activity is that it just exchanges one set of behaviors that keep me from God for another set of behaviors that actually do keep me from God as well. Also, we turn, a lot of times we'll turn to government systems to try to control death and sin. I mean, we create law upon law, trying to you know, create new ways. You know, to, if people break the law, then they'll put, put in our prison cells are just full up with people who've broken severe laws and not so severe laws. We keep adding to them and adding to them. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you're conservative or liberal. I mean, those things really don't matter. You put your hope in this external compression system, hoping that we can kind of hold things at bay. Maybe we can keep sin and behavior kind of boxed in. If we create enough good laws, it'll seal the fate. And it's like we add law to law. Health care, we think, well, if we add more health care, if we more incentives for people to stop doing bad health things... Better diet, less drinking, less smoking, those kinds of things. We do those things. We'll basically, we'll keep sin at bay. We'll keep death at bay. People will live longer. Now, those things won't work. The reason we know that is we look at this passage. What, what comes to mind when he says these rulers and authorities is actually the Roman government, the biggest government of the day, the, the one that held, you know, had Romana Pax, the, the peace of Rome, ruled over most of the civilized world at that time. 
You had the Jewish religion that was a pretty strong religion, stayed for really thousands of years, that was trying to keep people locked into religious boxes to keep them from misbehaving. They both failed huge, huge ways. And the reason we know that is they actually, they crucified Jesus. Jesus, the best man. Jesus, the one who was the most pure, the one who was an actual innocent, had never done anything wrong. Both the Roman government and the Jewish religion were converging together to crucify Jesus. It was atheists, it was theists, it was agnostics, it was different races, all of humanity converging together to crucify Jesus. They charged him with sedition, with heresy, with blasphemy, when they were the ones who were actually rebelling against God. They were the ones who were actually uh, having heresy and blasphemy against the creator of the universe by hanging Jesus on the cross. That is all being revealed. So government, religion, no way. They're not answers to the things that really get down into who we are. The problem that we have, that we're enslaved to sin and to death. The charge that was laid upon Jesus was that he was a king. They put it across the top of the cross there. They put this charge, Jesus, king of the Jews, right? That was an actual real statement that was used. And everyone had conspired to crucify this Jesus, this perfect, spotless Lamb of God. That's the way the Bible describes Jesus. They put him to death at the cross. And what it did is it revealed the deep sinfulness of our hearts. We took the only pure and innocent and defiled and laid sin upon sin upon Jesus. Well, not only are we enslaved, we're also indebted. In crucifying Jesus, the innocent, the king, we were demonstrating just how bankrupt we truly are as human beings. The scripture here says that we have this certificate of death that consists of decrees against us. And the crucifixion, it reveals this deep indebtedness to God. Rather than receiving Christ as our king, which we should have done, we rejected him outrightly. In the Garden of Eden, we see the first uh, signs of this. Adam and Eve, they're, they're the ones that God created. And immediately after creation, not long after, they're... They're rejecting God. They're pushing Him away. And they're actually writing this debt check to God. That says, well, we, we owe you. We actually owe you, God, honor. We, all, we, we owe you respect. We owe you obedience. But actually, we're, we're not going to pay off on that. And they just wrote this huge IOU. The reality is, you and I, we were born into that debt system. We are coming to this world indebted to God. All the honor, all the respect, all the obedience that God actually deserves, we write checks that say, no way, Jose, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to obey. I'm not going to respect. I'm not going to honor God. That's the idea in this passage. We have racked up this debt. We're writing checks that we can't cash. We're racking up a debt that we could never, ever repay. And really, there's only one way that this debt can be repaid, and that's through death. The debt that we owe is greater than our life, quite honestly. The scriptures tell us that in Romans 6, it says that the wages of our sin is death, but God's free gift is eternal life through Christ. Our continued rejection of Jesus as death, burial, and resurrection demonstrates the same kind of rejection that Rome and the Jews and the people of Jesus' day had by nailing him to the cross. 
you're starting to get a feel for how big a trouble we're actually in. I mean, you start to see this is what God came to deal with in us. Hearts that were bent on doing our own thing. Hearts that were bent on our own independence away from Him. That we could have somehow life on our own terms apart from God. It gets worse. (laughs) Great news, Steve. Hallelujah. Yeah. Entombed. It's not just that we're slaves to cruel taskmasters. It's not just that, uh, that we could run away from. It's not just that we have this massive debt that maybe we could start paying down, you know, bringing it down a bit. The Bible actually says that we're not just enslaved, we're not just indebted, we're actually dead. We're actually dead in our rebellion, in our self-centeredness apart from God. Verse 13 tells us that. So what does it mean to be dead? Um, Most of us think we know what that means, right? I'll give a few words to you to help you out. Unresponsive. I mean, you flip a dead man's ear, he's not going to go, ouch. You know what I mean? He just doesn't do that. Uh, He's unresponsive. He's unaware. Okay? So, like, you could have a party around a casket, and he's not, it's like, he doesn't care. He's not going to get involved in your party. Okay? Um, And he's insensible. I mean, you can pinch him. You can do whatever. And it's like there's no sense, there's no sensation. There's nothing there. The Bible uses that word deadness to describe how we are toward God. We're insensible, we're unaware, we're unresponsive to Him. You are dead in your transgressions. This is your condition outside of Christ. Unresponsive to God, unaware of God, insensible to His presence in your life from day to day. Now, you may not be an atheist, you know, in theory, like you would never say, I'm an atheist. That may be you. You know, you may not even say, I'm a God. You may say, I'm a believer. I believe that there is a God. But the way that we live that out is we basically ignore God. We live as if He doesn't exist. We're functional in our atheism. So we make decisions. I'm going to marry this person. I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to buy this car. We make all kinds of decisions. We don't acknowledge God. We don't say, hey, God, what do you think about this? Why? He's dead to us. We're dead to Him. We're irresponsive to God. We don't take into account, what is the Creator? What is my Father? What does God have to say to me about these issues of my life? How should I live? Should I live with this person? Should I marry this person? How should I live my life? We're totally irresponsive. We're dead. It's like He doesn't exist to us. That's what the Bible means when it says we're dead in our sins. We're in worse shape than we ever thought possible, aren't we? I mean, when it comes right down to it, when you start looking at what the Bible says, we go, wow, I'm in bad shape. Worse shape than I ever imagined. And if I stop there, I mean, that means really bad news for us, right? It's like, okay, you know, you're hopeless, you're worthless, get out of my sight. I mean, it's just like it doesn't do us any good. It's like a doctor comes and says, hey, by the way, you have cancer. See ya. You know, and they just walk off the stage. It's like, wait a minute, that, that's not helpful. But the Bible is better than that. It tells us something that is as bad as our sin is, as bad as our condition is, actually Jesus is a whole lot better. He's better than we ever imagined. He has done more for us than we could ever get our heads around. But we're going to try this morning. We're going to get our heads around a bit of what Jesus has done for us. He's better than we ever imagined. He's decimated our enemies. He's taken out those things that actually enslave us. He's canceled our debt. He's taken away even the record of our debt, and He's made us alive with Him. He's given us genuine life. No longer irresponsive to God, but actually where we can respond to Him, where we're aware of His presence in our lives, that actually we have a conversation. We know He's with us. He is living life 
alongside us. He made you alive together with him. I love that, just that phrase. He made you alive together with him. In other words, he doesn't just like animate us. He doesn't just like say, okay, now you're alive and now just go on about your business. He makes us alive together with him. It's because of what Christ has done and it's because he draws us into a relationship with him. The only reason we have life is because of the life giver, Jesus. We're connected with him by faith. That's what happens here. The certainty of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope. We have a certainty, an expectation that when we have Christ, we're made now alive to God. There's a sensitivity, an awareness. Oh, yeah, God does exist. Oh, yeah, he really does, does care for me. It's not that we were, you know, like in uh, uh, this, this one movie, the, um, oh, goodness, I've forgotten the name, the Bride, Princess Bride movie, you know, where the guy's mostly dead. You know, have you ever seen a movie? What is wrong? He's, he's mostly dead. You know, no, he's not mostly dead. We were completely dead. You're not mostly alive when you come to Christ. You are completely made alive together with Christ. This is amazing good news for us. How do we know we're made alive in Christ? Well, we're forgiven. We're forgiven of our sins. Today, if you're beginning to see the depth of your sin, you're beginning to see the depth of your rebellion, actually, I'll use this word treason against God. In other words, he's a king, and basically you have tried to take him off of his throne. You've, you've actually rebelled against him. That's treason. The death penalty for treason, I mean, for the penalty for treason was only the death penalty on the cross. That's why Jesus died on the cross. You are forgiven of your sins. Today, if you're beginning to see that, then you can turn away from trusting in anything else and you can trust completely in Jesus Christ. You can turn away from your sins and turn back to God and submit to Jesus. This is the beginning point, not the ending point, the beginning point of faith. I say a lot of times it's it's the starting line of faith. Repentance, turning away, believing that Jesus is the only sacrifice that's going to save me. That's the beginning. It's the starting line. You can cross the starting line of faith Today, by turning away from our sins, turning to God, submitting to our, our lives to this truth of who Jesus is. He made us alive together with Him. The best news of all out of that statement is that we're alive together with Him. I, I love that Jesus is the kind of Savior that He, he doesn't just like save us and, and put us you know, on a path and say, Okay, now go ahead, take a walk, enjoy yourself. No, what He does is He actually saves us. And then He's there with us. He's that kind of Savior. He's not a Savior who just says, well, go on, do about your business, do what you like. No, He says, come and be with me. He's a present Savior. He's one who comes right alongside of us so that we know we're never, ever, ever alone. It means that our sinful nature that once animated us, that caused us to look when we weren't supposed to, to go where we weren't supposed to, actually has Now we're dead to that, but now we're alive to God. We're animated by God's good spirit. We're made alive to to walk with Him, to enjoy life now with Him. And there's something life-giving about this word forgiveness. Have you ever had a situation where you've actually been in a relationship and it's been broken and, and you actually sinned against someone? And maybe for a time you've been separated by miles and time and distance and relationship. And then suddenly the person comes back to you and says, You know what? Hey, I forgive you. Whatever was back there, I just, I forgive you. It's all gone. Forget about it. You know how life-giving that is? 
especially if it was a close relative, maybe it was a parent or a sibling that just suddenly now there's healing in the relationship, how life-giving that is. Well, multiply that about a billion times, and you understand a little bit of the kind of relationship now we have with God. Our sins are forgiven. We have a restored relationship with Him. Our debts are canceled. That's what uh, this thing about forgiveness is all about forgiving debts. Jesus, multiple times, when He talked about forgiveness, He used financial terms to do so. Even in the Lord's Prayer, the one line says this, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Interesting language, isn't it? Someone offends you. What happens? Well, suddenly they come into your debt. They have done something that has made them owe you something, right? That's the way you feel about it. You owe me. That's why we try to get revenge. You owe me. Well, Jesus doesn't come to get revenge. He comes to pay our debt, which is an amazing, amazing thing. We see here in full technicolor, kind of high definition, this is what it means to be forgiven. Our debts have been paid. Verse 14 says, Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, this IOU, it was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Wow. That is big, big language. Let's break that down just a little bit. We have to realize this. Look, the, the creation, that's who we are. We can't make out who we are very well without the creator. We just can't figure out what we're about until we understand we have a relationship with this one who actually made us. Our relationship to him until we come to Christ is one of indebtedness. We owe God something. But he doesn't come to get revenge on us. He came to take revenge for us. Jesus took the death on the cross that we actually deserved. This IOU that we've developed, remember I said about Adam and Eve, they went into debt with God, we're born into debt, and each act of rebellion and sin and treason against God is racking up more and more debt to our account. Jesus takes that hostile IOU that meant for us certain death, not just a few swats on the backside, not just a timeout in the corner, but separation from God forever. Jesus accepted separation from God. At the cross where, God, where he says to God, God, why have you forsaken me? My God, why? He took the separation that you and I deserved so that we might never experience separation from God again. And he says, hey, you'll be with me forever and ever. Our debt is paid in full. Jesus took the tab. He completely satisfied God's completely justified wrath that was meant for you and for me. Now that we've been forgiven, we have Christ's good record. Only the perfect, spotless, innocent Jesus could accept the full payment. He was the only one who had the resources enough to be able to absorb the payment of your sin and my sin. And actually, the Bible says the sins of the whole world. History Without end. Jesus received the punishment of all of that sin. It's not just that we're forgiven. It's like, okay, I owe a trillion dollars. Now I'm up here. I'm at zero. Because of Jesus, His obedience, His faithfulness to the Father, it's like we go from a trillion dollar debtor to now we have the full riches of Christ. We're a trillion dollar heir. (laughs) We get the full riches of Christ's obedience into our account. This is amazing. You go from, 
Have you done? Have you ever like paid off a credit card and you get it paid off? And it's like, well, I've gotten to zero, but actually now you start putting money in the bank. How good that feels. Okay, Jesus says, I've done that for you. I've taken care of your debt, and now you have all the riches of my obedient and righteous and perfect life now in your account. It's an amazing, amazing deal. Now that we're alive to God, His grace relieves us of our debt. So we don't enter into this thing with Jesus and think, oh, wow, now you know I owe Jesus this huge debt. Actually, grace doesn't create debt. It actually forgives debt. It actually releases us from debt. And that's what Jesus comes to offer to us. We're not debtors to God. We're actually now free from that debt penalty. Now that that's happened, we could ask questions about, well, what about these enemies? What about these enemies of death and sin? What about my slave masters, you know, that, that I, I, I'm, I'm under, these taskmasters of the world and the flesh and the devil? I mean, do I have to worry about these things? The, well, the resurrection of, of Jesus actually vindicates Him as the only Son of God. It vindicates Him that Jesus has stripped And he's exposed these enemies of ours, these taskmasters of ours, as actually kind of like toothless lions. They can frighten us at times, but they've got no bite left in us when we're in Christ. They can cause us to be, yeah, we we might fall into temptation, we might give into temptation, but actually, no, we're, we're now, we're not enslaved, we're not driven by sin's power anymore. It's a toothless thing. The fear of death that the Bible says is the power of sin no longer has power over you and me. That's one of the great things about the resurrection is that we know we have an eternity with God. We no longer have to fear death and we don't have to fear sin. The old powers no longer have a hold on us. Now, this is good news. It's not just good news for you individually. It's good news for all of us. I love the passage. I'm going to kind of go back up to the beginning of it here. Um, where, where it talks about that He has forgiven you, we have all been forgiven our sins and transgressions. He uses those two words of you. He made us alive, having forgiven, or excuse me, He made you alive. I'll read it again. He made you alive, having forgiven us our transgressions. When we're saved, we are brought into relationship with Christ. We're also brought into a relationship with one another. Imagine... Go into the, uh, the gas station down here and you get a lottery ticket and you get the scratcher and you, you scratch off. I think there's a new one, you know, like you, just, you get a whole stack of them, you know, for a certain price. And you scratch off and you realize you're a winner. You're a billion dollar winner, right? Who does that affect? Does that just affect you? Great, now I've got a billion dollars in my account. Wonderful for me. No, guess what? If you have relatives, it's going to affect them. If you have friends, it's going to affect them. It doesn't just affect you. When you come into a relationship with Christ, it, come, it affects your family. It affects your friends. It affects everyone near to you. Suddenly, you've gone from a billion-dollar debtor to a trillion-dollar winner. I mean, you're this kind of rich in Christ. The message of good news affects you individually, but it also affects each one of us together. And that's what Jubilee is about. That's who we are. We're a people who've all been affected by this grace of God. Grace on grace. Kindness on kindness from God. We're all, in that sense, winners of God's good gift to us. You can sometimes... The reason why it's important is because we often walk through this life feeling very isolated and very alone. But when God uses these phrases, you have been raised, now we have been forgiven, 
all of us, our transgressions, that puts us all together. It brings us into a family. It invites us into a kind of relationship where we're not having to jockey for position anymore. We're not having to uh, judge others anymore in the same way, actually, because we've been freed from judgment ourselves. You're now in a personal life-giving relationship with Jesus, and you're surrounded by a whole new family when you come into this relationship with Christ. We're now free to forgive as we've been forgiven, to release people from debts against us. That's a huge thing, isn't it? We all have people who sinned against us, but now in Christ we're able to actually forgive them. We're all free to accept one another as we've been accepted in Christ. One of the biggest needs that we have as a humanity is to be accepted and loved by people, to be known by people. And here the Scriptures tell us, hey, look, we're, we're in this thing together. We're actually being connected to one another because of what Jesus has done. This is the good news of the cross. We're worse off, way worse off than we ever thought possible. But through Christ and about Christ, He is more awesome, more amazing than we ever thought possible.